What's going on guys, Philosopher here and welcome back to FGC Philosophy. This is where we talk about topics within the fighting game community that I think are important. Sometimes it's political, sometimes it's game related. Uh, today is a little bit of both, right? Uh, today we're going to be talking about SNK and one of the shareholders and how uh, kind of falls into the realm of war crimes here and i'm not over exaggerating by any means uh we'll get into that in this episode so make sure you tune in make sure you you stay to listen to the whole conversation i was actually introduced to this topic by a person on twitter named soleil and some of this was done via dm and on twitter because we originally started talking on twitter and i looked into what they were talking about and then from there i was just like wow why aren't people talking about this why aren't more people talking about this topic and I, I still don't know why more people aren't talking about this topic it is kind of a concerning thing for me um i'm not going to you know we don't go into what you should or should not do in terms of the, the this episode but more so just things to be concerned about what we're going to be personally doing and, and why this is actually important before we get into the main topic a couple of quick updates for me uh the one thing that i want to at least mention that's not new is the the weeklies that we do we do weeklies and monthlies every monday street fighter 5 is at 9 p.m eastern standard time dragon balls at 7 30 all the information is going to be on my discord the fgc philosophy no not that one the the kalamazoo fgc discord that's the one where you can find uh, all the tournaments we always post it either on saturday or sunday the monthlies i try to post a little bit sooner i'll be uploading that one probably by the time this one is uploaded i'll i'll have the links out there on my um uh, discord so make sure you stay tuned for that other than that we are doing an event uh me proven esports and one mind gaming we're all working together to do a an event and i'll have the the details in there i'm really excited about it we're still planning out a lot of the details uh but i'm just really excited to be able to help more people my goal has been able to reach out to more people help them educate them and uh do it via whatever i can whether it be gaming or whether it be coaching doesn't really matter so i'm just glad that i'm doing more to help out more people uh you can register in the link down below if you want to check it out i'll i'll have more links and have more updates as they come i don't want to say too much just yet but uh, I'm just excited for it. Outside of that, you know, I'm doing the coaching thing still. I'm coaching individual clients. Of course, you can reach out to me if you're interested in uh, getting a consultation, a free consultation to see if we're a good fit. Uh, but I've been working with a lot of high schools and that's been going really well, getting more business. So I'm, I'm feeling uh, good. The imposter syndrome is going away a little bit because I'm grinding and I'm getting results and I'm making sure to give myself credit where credit is due and not being too hard on myself. So mental health is better, physical health, it's another thing entirely. Uh, so, yeah, I, I had to get tested for COVID because I was having a lot of the symptoms. I wound up not having COVID, but I did have a viral infection of some sort. I still have the cough. I still feel it right now as I'm trying to talk. Uh, it's, it's hard to not cough right now, but uh, I'm feeling a lot better. I'm currently on a juice cleanse. I'm on the third day of a juice cleanse right now, so I'll be able to eat again uh, tomorrow. I'm not going to go ham intended on on the, on the eating but i am going to enjoy a nice salad to uh eat some solid food and and really be happy that i'm not going to be hungry for the next coming days uh, this is a great journey honestly though and not to spend too much time talking about this it really got me thinking about mental resilience mental discipline uh the ability to remember to tell myself no in the moment right uh because i had to go to my locals on the first day so i was starving and there was good smelling food and i maintained my discipline i said no and i i adhere to it on my last day i'm feeling very confident that i can get through my last day the first day was definitely the hardest but now 
uh, I'm, I'm here and I feel like I have a more disciplined self-mastery of myself, right? I want to eat? No. You, you're going to sit on a strict diet. I'm going to drink every two to two and a half hours, uh, drink this juice, you know, and, uh, you know, when I get off of this, I'm going to make sure that I'm not just bouncing back into eating unhealthy, which I don't really eat too unhealthy, but I don't want to, you know, you, you want to start light, right? With, with veggies and stuff like that, because your stomach is going to shrink, but that's besides the point that's getting into the technical stuff of the actual diet. But more so importantly is being able to tell yourself, no, being able to say, hey, here is my plan and I'm going to adhere to it. And it just feels so good with something new or something that is hard, you know, when you want to eat and you're just like, what's wrong with eating? I can eat right now. I'm going to go ahead and eat, you know, uh, it, it feels good to accomplish that. And uh, if you guys are having any ideas in terms of your diet, I just say go for it. But also just make sure you try to get on some sort of plan on an eating schedule, you know, at the very least. That'll help you out a little bit, but it's it's been good. Uh, I'm feeling a lot better. My healthiness is, is basically back. Um, I'm a little bit easily fatigued when I work out or something like that. Um, and also, I have been getting a little bit better with, with mental fog, mental clarity, stuff like that. So um, other than the cough, I'm feeling pretty good. I'm feeling better. You know, people who are concerned about me, thank you. I kind of took a day off or a week off last week. Luckily, it was spring break. So a lot of my clients, a lot of the schools that I'm working with, they're on spring break. So I got this week to recuperate fully uh, and not have to worry about working. So I'm doing really well. I'm really excited. This episode had me very fired up. I'm, I'm hopeful that this can start some conversation. So make sure you listen to this episode. Reach out, leave a comment. Make sure if you're listening to this on a podcast like Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, Hit that subscribe button. It helps me out tremendously. Of course, I'll have some affiliate links down below for Audible because I, I love Audible. I listen to audiobooks all the time. You hear me talking about it. But nonetheless, that helps me out as well. If you want to support this channel, those are the two best ways to do it other than, other than just reaching out to me and letting me know your thoughts and continuing the conversation. So that's what you can do. What I can do is stop talking now and we can get into this episode. So thank you so much and I hope you enjoy the show. So tell me a little bit about yourself and how you got involved in the FGC. Yeah, you know, I, I on, on one hand, I don't know if it's even safe to say I'm, I'm a part of the FGC yet because I feel like I've, I've always loved fighting games, right? Because I love character design. Um, but I've yet to actually attend FGC events, you know, and, and you're the first FGC personality that I've interfaced with, which... Uh, is wonderful to me, you know, and, and with Guilty Gear Strives released, I'm looking at this as sort of the time where my character design love and passion and love fighting games can actually intersect with the community in a tangible way. So this is sort of my FGC coming out, as it were. Oh, okay. um, awesome. But, uh, yeah. What got you into fighting games? I know you said you like characters, but how does that, where did that start from? Yeah. Well, um, so I consider character design my, my chief passion, and it's something that I'd love to be involved in one day, you know, whether it's um, through gaming or animation or, or graphic novels. Um, I've always been creating characters, you know, but they're relegated to the, the insides of my head, you know. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, it would have just been you know, stuff that I think we all enjoyed growing up, whether it was DBZ or Yu-Gi-Oh! or Pokemon or um, 
you know, those, those going to Las Vegas where they had arcades because I didn't, I didn't have a lot of arcades where I was here in the Central Coast in California. Um, even though I know I'm in California, um, and it was seeing Marvel vs. Capcom, right, in the big arcade cabinet, and seeing these characters I recognized, like, oh, you know, there's Wolverine, there's Spider-Man, you know, um, but, you know, who's uh, who's that little guy that looks like a Lego man who sets the table, you know, like the Surfbot from, from Mega Man, and just all these wacky and beautiful, you know, like Amingo and the, the, the beautiful cactus guy, and being like, you know, who are these people that I know playing with these, these other people? And I think that's you know, when I really fell in love with the anime aesthetic and just all the wild stuff it would do, you know? Um, and I remember after that, you know, when I went to Barnes & Noble with my parents, you know, asking the, the store clerk, hey, you know, do you have a Capcom section? Like there would be such a thing, you know? But, you know, thankfully she was smart enough to show me where the manga was. And that's when I, I really fell in love with, um, with that, you know, so. Um, but, you know, I mean, Saturday morning cartoons, all, all that good stuff. Yeah, that seems to be a pretty common thread amongst all the FGC people. It's like, ja appreciation of Japanese culture or like a love for anime. Also, shouts out to whoever that lady was at the, the bookstore <laughs> for introducing oh, you to yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, true yeah, that. No, that's true awesome. that. You're pulling on my heartstrings because I, I love Marvel. Marvel's one of the first games. Marvel 2, Marvel 3, one of the first fighting games I ever really played. Um, and like try to actually play what well. marvel 3 specifically but i played marvel 2 on the dreamcast so yeah that that pulls at my heartstrings personally yeah, the dreamcast, that's awesome. yeah, that's awesome. yeah oh man okay so i i've been talking a lot about different game developers and really trying to practice putting my money where my mouth is the first company that i really talked about was nintendo and, and right. just their practices and i'm trying to do it in a way where like Hey, if you if you want to support Nintendo, fine. But like, here's why I'm not, and here's why I think you shouldn't, right? So that's that's how I felt about Nintendo. I just haven't bought any of their products and stuff like that uh, because of just how they treated their community and stuff like that. I'm not a huge SNK guy, except for well, Neo Geo, Metal Slug type of stuff. But I, I've only played like Metal one Slug's of beautiful. these. Yeah, I love Metal Slug. Um, but like SNK in terms of king of fighters and, and their other fighting games like i've only played them here and there and never had like that huge love for it so yeah. for me you know i saw your post a long time ago i think you tagged me in it and i was really curious and then i looked it up and i was like oh like this is a real thing right because i i'm a very skeptical person i try to yeah. make sure that before i pick an opinion one way or the other i'm like let me make sure this person isn't crazy let me make sure this person like knows what they're talking about looked it up um very very reputable gaming articles were talking about the same thing uh, posing the same questions but i had never seen the conversation really happening on like any content creator so i don't know exactly why that is but like i i'd love to know for you you know how did this how did you come across this and why why is this so important for you oh thanks um man a lot of ways i could come at that um let me talk about why i left king of fighters first um so once again right not feeling like i really been initiated into the FGC yet. I guess this would this would be the, the first steps here. Um, you know, it, I can feel a bit about imposter syndrome talking about being a, a long-time fan of King of Fighters, but I, I know I am from a character design point, for sure. Um, well, the first King of Fighters game I played, I think, was 11. So that was when it was still in the pixel art phase. I think that was right before it made the transition to the beautiful... Um, well, I guess the sprites in... 
12 and 13 were also pixel, but they had more of the illustrative look. Um, and I think there was, our process got rehauled, and um, I think there was even rotoscoping involved. And anyway, those games look, those are probably the most gorgeous fighting games to me, like in the top five, you know, like King of Fighters um, 13, I think. The 11, anyway, was beautiful too. And um, I know I, uh, I think part of what I liked about it was that um, while the designs were very, creative and flamboyant, you know, kind of like Street Fighter. Um, the characters didn't feel like char like caricatures as much. Um, and that is part of what I like about Street Fighter too. But it felt they felt a little more like um, fashion models in some ways, you know. Um, and uh, I really fell in love with Ash, Ash Crimson, who uses the green fire. And um, so often in, you know, Japanese media, um, uh, male characters that aren't masculine normative or that are a little more flamboyant can be portrayed a little bit pejoratively or almost as a joke. Um, but you know, he uh, he just felt beautiful and um, kind of confident uh, with his sort of effeminate nature in a way that felt very respectful to me. And he was such a beautiful contrast to the other fire users in that you know you have Yuri who uses purple fire, he's very feral and brutal. You know, you have the main character Kyo, who's, uh, you know, your regular Shoto, beautiful fire user. And then you had K-Dash, who's another fire user. He's kind of like your badass leather jacket wearing, sunglasses wearing guy. And so it was just a beautiful kind of way to round out that whole fire motif. And um, there's lots of other designs that are wonderful. Like um, Meitenkun, he, uh, he's sort of a cool take on like the drunken fist, but he uses like the slumber fist. So he's always sleepy, you know, and just, just cool stuff. Like um, and uh, so, so to me, character design, right, is a mode of expression. Um, they're sort of avatars that I can project parts of my personality onto, you know, maybe that I feel I need validation for or I need to embody more of. Um, and so when I see someone like Salman, you know, by basically the rights to these characters. It's like, I feel like I have tools of expression that are now being taken from me, you know? And um, I know when I think about my own characters, they're like children to me, you know? And, and the idea of them being taken from me. Um, and, I, and of course I don't have any children, so I, I don't mean on that level, but you know, in, in uh, just to say they're near and dear, you know, and they feel like they're, so to feel like, like, like someone evil has, um, you know, taken ownership of something that, you know, um, like near and dear as a, as a close place to me. Yeah. 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 Uh, I think it's safe to say that a lot of people who play fighting games and even, even other, other games just very passionately, whether it's competitively, casually, uh, I would say hard, like hardcore gamers, whether they're competitive or not competitive, they play for fun. You know, some people are combo artists, whatever the, they have. You know, yeah. this connection, this emotional connection to these games. And uh, I think a lot of times we don't really look at the business side of things unless it personally affects us. And, and sure. from my point of view, it feels like you're a little bit ahead of the curve, right? Uh, I don't think the average person has felt the effects of what could potentially happen with with uh, this purchase. Because I think currently the way, from what I, I've seen, he owns like maybe 35% of SNK. Uh, okay. Um, but he plans on owning 55, which would be a majority share. And that's my understanding too. Yeah. So I, I'm curious for you, what are your concerns with what could happen with 
King of Fighters and other SNK、uh, franchises? Yeah,、um, as far as the media itself, nothing. You know, I don't think Salman is going to, you know, try and edit the content or any of that. You know,、um, mm-hmm. to me, it's more, you know, first of all, just feeling like I, I can't, in good conscience, support this game anymore.、Mm-hmm. Um, not that I think that's necessarily the right decision for everyone. You know, I, I do think our personal ethics are personal.、Um, but I do think this acquisition should matter to everyone, you know, and that they should all think about it, you know.、Um, so, so to me, you know, my ethics tell me that. You know, this isn't something I can support with my purchase or with my time.、Um, and I'm, I'm so thankful to God for Strive, right? Because I can put all my passion and love there and sort of have that breakup, you know, kind of,、uh, you know, what's, what's that called when you, <laughs> when you have a relationship to help kind of sap your pain from a breakup? Oh, like a, like like a, a rebound? Like a bounce back or something. Or, a rebound? A rebound, yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> well, well, I would have played Strive. Anyway, you know, it's also functioning for me as like a rebound now. <laughs> yeah,、uh-huh. for sure. Because、so, I, I was planning to. Yeah.、Um, the, well, my question for you is let's say we come across someone who doesn't even know who Mohammed bin、uh, Salman is, right? Yeah. Like, why, why should they care about like, him buying SNK? Like, why does, that, why does that matter, right? Like, I, I know for、sure. me personally why it matters to me, but like, I think、yeah. our both point of views will be very helpful in people understanding why this is important. Definitely. Yeah, I would, I would come at that two ways. The first way is, the, is just not even thinking about the horrific stuff he's done in Yemen, you know, just focusing here、uh, in our world, right? In the FTC, in the video game industry. It sets a horrible precedent. That's the first thing. You know,、um, you know, I know you hear a lot of people lately talking about. The detrimental aspects of capitalism, you know, and one of those is that at the end of the day, you know,、um, money's all there is, right? You know, we don't make、uh, decisions necessarily with a human focused or ethical component all the time. And so in this case, you know, I believe that whoever bought SP a long time ago, whatever Chinese company it was, whatever group of shareholders it was, You know, they sold the, these, these stocks to MBS, to Mohammed bin Salman, you know, because it was, it was a good purchase, you know,、um, it, was, it was a good investor. But if they knew that consumers, you know, were going to, if they knew that their bottom line was going to get affected, they wouldn't have, have, have sold that stock, you know. So, so, for these people that own things that are important to us, that's all that matters, right? Is the bottom line. And so, to me, it sets a bad precedent because if they see, hey, we could sell this, this game to a mass murderer, you know, people are still going to buy it. You know, at that point, you know, what if, you know, Capcom or Arc System Works or Bandai Namco you know, or NetherRealm, you know, got up and bought by, by, by someone that we didn't want to support? All of a sudden, something that's near and dear to us. You know, you have that cognitive dissonance in something where there was previously only. So I would say it's, it's just the precedent.、Um, and then the second, second angle, second approach. Did you want to speak to that or is it okay to go for it? Go for it. Go to that, that second pillar. Cool, cool, thank you.、Um, is just that,、um, you know, to actually look at what you're indirectly supporting in terms of the things he's done in the Middle East. 
So once again, here comes my disclaimer once more. You know, I'm the farthest thing from a Middle Eastern scholar. Um, I know very little, but I know that what I do know is is, is valid. And um, a lot of what I'm going to communicate now, you know, is is available on, on BBC site and many others. Um, but I just reference that as my main source because I believe them to be incredible. Um, and... Uh, so basically, um, my understanding is that, you know, Mohammed bin Salman, or, 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 or Prince Salman, right, is, uh, BBC describes him as the quote-unquote de facto leader of Saudi Arabia. So even though his father technically is, you know, it was Salman that came to the White House when Trump took photo ops with him, you know, about what arms that us Americans were selling him. You know, uh, he's really looked at as the leader, I think, when it, when it comes to the public media um so that's important to understand you know he's not just some kind of random person some consultant you know in the government you know he's he's kind of very much the leader in a lot of ways with understanding um so the things he's done the three things he's done to me that are egregious the one that most of us may have heard about is jamal khashoggi's murder um while he was not an american citizen he was an american resident and he was a journalist who was critical of the Saudi Arabian government. And I believe um, when he was in, in Turkey at, a, at an embassy there, he was taken into the back by Salman's men and murdered. Um, and that's something that I believe just recently the, the public news community has kind of um, come to an agreement on that that was him, even though he denied it. Um, so obviously anyone that murders dissenting journalists is, is, is a bad person, right? Mm-hmm. You know, so we can say for sure that SNK's new owner is a murderer, even if it's just one person that's a murderer. Now, the other two things to me that are as awful as that is infinitely worse. Um, they have to do with his airstrikes and the, the famine that he's exacerbated in Yemen. So Yemen is a little country on the Saudi Arabian Peninsula, bordering Saudi Arabia. They're a little country right next door, share a border, um, and they're a very poor country. Um, and basically, Saudi Arabia and Yemen have been in conflict for some time. And this ties into something called the Yemen crisis, which I've had to learn about too, and still am. But um, I don't mean to get too in the weeds, but I'm, I have a hard time with brevity, so bear with me here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, so basically, um, you know, it, it, Salman's not going out of his way to kill innocent people. Um, the supposed reason for his airstrikes in Yemen is because, um, Yemen's government was overtaken by, uh, I believe they're called the Houthis. Basically, these, these rebels that are also Muslim, um, but, you know, they're of the more extremist, um, Shia minority. And I believe Salman in Saudi Arabia is the Sunni um, group. And um, so you may think, you know, why does it matter what's happening in the country? Why would he care? Well, I mean, think about, you know, how how the U.S. tries to control, how we try to control things that happen in other countries, right? Because we fear they're going to destabilize us. So basically, that's, that's one of the reasons why I think um, Salman in Saudi Arabia was trying to get control of Yemen again, was even though it wasn't a government overthrow that was happening in their country, 
they're sort of the big hit on the block down there. And um, I think they try to stamp out any um, Shia influence where they see it because they see that coming from Iran. And I believe Saudi Arabia and Iran are sort of adversaries. So to get that all out of the way, that's just to let you guys know why Salman has been carrying out those airstrikes. There's, there's technically to suppress the Houthis. That's who they're for. Um, so I don't personally feel the Houthis are good people either. Um, the people I'm caring about are the people caught in the crossfire, the civilians. So the, these, these two atrocities that he's been largely responsible for, um, let me pull up the page I had here, the web page. Um, sure. Okay, so this is, this is just a, a little segment here from the BBC article, I think posted about a year ago. And um, it says as follows. The United Nations had verified the deaths of at least 7,700 civilians by March 2020. That's almost 8,000 civilians by March. And here's the point. With most, exactly, exactly. With most caused by Saudi-led coalition airstrikes. So it's hard because you don't see Salman's name directly, but what you will see a lot is Saudi-led coalition or U.S.-backed Saudi-led coalition. I think just recently the U.S. has been pulling out, thank God, so you know, our government's hands are going to be less less bloody. Um, but Saudi-led means Saudi Arabian-led, right? And Saudi Arabia means King Salman and Mohammed bin Salman. And we already know that he's the de facto leader. Um, so I, my impression is that the father has kind of left this to his son. You know, and there's other countries there too in the Middle East that are responsible. But he's, my understanding is that he's he's heading it up. Yeah, Mohammed bin Salman um, not the, only is yeah. the prince, but he's also the defense minister. So he's responsible for oh my god, this kind okay. of stuff. yeah. So I, I mean, was, this is literally his job is to do this kind of stuff is to like handle. Um, I I don't know if general would be like the equivalent of what a defense minister is over here, but I know that his responsibility is handling wars and such. Okay, defense minister. Hey guys, Future Philosopher here, and I wanted to better describe what a defense minister is. I feel like I didn't really do a great job of explaining it in this podcast, but essentially, a defense minister in Saudi Arabia is responsible for protection of national security, interests of sovereignty, and the country from external threats, as well as working with all ministries of the state to achieve national security and stability, right? That's that's the definition of what a defense minister is, right? So I just want to make sure to clarify what the actual job description is rather than really giving it a poor example. All right, back to the podcast. And this next little paragraph says, monitoring groups believe that the death toll is actually far higher. Um, The U.S.-based armed conflict location and event data project said in October 2019 that it had recorded more than 100,000 fatalities, including 12,000 civilians killed in direct attacks. So it looks like it could be anywhere from basically 8,000 to 12,000, which is just crazy, right? That's Um, unimaginable. And then that doesn't even, right? And it doesn't even talk about, that doesn't even consider fatalities, people that just got their arms blown off, you know? Um, You know, those could be people's children. Um, And then the the second main atrocity that I want to focus on, which um, the wonderful, wonderful nonprofit news service, Democracy Now! just released a video on is the famine in Yemen. Um, and now you may wonder why, you know, how Saman could, could be responsible in, in exacerbating a famine. 
when he's just a, a defense minister, like you said. But basically, um, in that role, he ordered a trade embargo around him to keep trade from going in and out. And the reason was supposedly to keep weapons out of the hands of the Houthis, right? So if you can starve, you know, weapons from your opponents, you know, that's that's a great war tactic, right? To cut off their supplies. But it's also cut off medical aid and food assistance to all these people. Um, and, and children are fucking starving to death. Um, so, and that's happening right now. While, while they may be in a period of a ceasefire concerning the airstrikes, the famine is currently ongoing. Um, so, yeah, definitely, you know, viewers out there, I would recommend checking that out too. Um, I don't know which video it is exactly, but um, Democracy Now! is just a wonderful uh, news publication. You can watch it on YouTube, listen to it on public radio. But uh, they have a good good segment on, on the Yemen famine too. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a lot. Uh, I didn't know about the the last one that you just mentioned. Um, I hadn't heard of that. I had definitely been following the Khashoggi because that that was yeah. a pretty big story. And that that alone made me very suspicious of this character. Um, yeah. And the just like the way the stories unfold, too, because it's not just like, you know, in, in the after fact, it's like, yeah, we know that he assassinated somebody. We don't know the reasons. Um, right. But like if you followed the story from the very beginning, nobody know, knew what happened to him because he basically disappeared. Uh, or, hold on, yeah. I might, there's two different ones I'm thinking of. There's two different assassinations of, like, journalists. Because uh, was he the one that was poisoned or the one that went to the ministry and, like, got... I don't I don't know if I want to describe believe, it in detail, but he, like, they yeah. took him apart. And, and, and it, I think that happened after he was killed to transport him out. In, yes. Yeah, in yeah okay. Because yep. when so, I first heard that, I was I was even more freaked out. Yeah, and, and so they denied awful, that but, yeah. at first. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, they just kept getting pressured, and eventually the story came out. And this is over like the course of at least a month, I think, before we really knew what happened to the to this character. Right? I, I I think showed you God. When was he actually killed? Because I think it was it was uh, several years ago now. Uh, and 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 his his I don't know if she was his his wife, but his his partner, you know, mm-hmm. the fiance, I believe, was outside the embassy when this happened. You know, so yeah. that was the last time that she saw him. Yeah, so this was in October of 2018 is when he died okay. in, uh, in Istanbul, like you said, Turkey. Um, which, yeah, and he, he left several children behind. He had a wife and they didn't know what happened to him and they were, you know, they were lied to. It's just, it's kind of nuts. And, I mean, we could talk for a long time about a lot of the things that, like, this person has done. Because I think both of us agree that uh, Muhammad bin, bin Salman specifically has done some terrible things that like it's not just like a conspiracy theory or anything like that because there's all you know there's a lot of like fake right. news st- uh, stuff that that always pops up in every yeah. topic which makes it hard to talk about anything but this is something that a lot of people from various countries have agreed upon that this is accurate yeah. as to what happened like BBC like you said talked about this uh, so these are these are proven instances of something of someone doing something terrible to a journalist someone who's who was writing articles mm-hmm. about him uh, and not in, the, in the positive light, right? He was writing articles in a negative light to him, and uh, I'm pretty sure that's why he was targeted. I don't think they ever confirmed the motive, but yeah. I don't, I can't imagine it being anything else other than that. And uh, it gets into the topic of, um, for me, and I'd love to know your thoughts on this, but I talked about with Nintendo. I, I use this analogy with Nintendo, where 
a lot of mm-hmm. gamers have what I would call Stockholm syndrome, where they complain about a game yeah. for various reasons. It could be the developers, it could be just they hate the <laughs> game, but for some reason they still feel an obligation to support the game, to buy all the DLC. And to me, it's an anomaly. I see people that play Smash Brothers complaining about Smash Brothers, complaining about the way they treat Smash players, but then as soon as the DLC comes out, it's like they totally forgot. And, you know, it, it goes, they play more into like the primal, like, oh, I got to have this rather than looking at their moral beliefs. And so I, I'm curious to know for you if this is something that you see similar happening with people who play SNK or if it's something, you know, maybe just enough people don't know about this or what the issue might be. Oh, man, good question. So I'm, I'm just shooting from the hip here. You know, sure. I, I, I don't really know the community, you know, and it's just yeah. my opinion. Um, if I'm just looking at myself first, you know, it's difficult to stand by my conviction if I believe the only realistic outcome I'm just depriving myself of it and no change is going to happen. You know, um, I know for a while there was a good moment thinking, oh, maybe there's some way, you know, for me, I can still buy 15 and enjoy it, you know, because God, I love Ash, I love Mayton Goon, you know, I love Kula Diamond, you know, I don't, I don't want to give up these characters. Um, you know, and and I think even when you get to something smaller, like a DLC, right? Like, oh, it's, it's just one character, you know, it's just a $5 purchase. Yeah. You know, I, I, I could see, you know, um, having a difficult time with that. And, and then I could see using that justification for myself, thinking about something, you know, much, much more egregious, you know, and how, you know, well, I didn't, thinking, well, you know, I didn't go to, um, uh, a Black Lives Matter rally, you know, I, I didn't, you know, oppose, maybe I didn't fight to oppose um, that new assembly bill that got passed in California that was going to hurt um, gay workers, you know, so, you know, why would I, why would I let this, let this DLC go now, you know, sure. I think for, for me, I can, I can be guilty of black and white thinking, um, you know, and I think, um, I, I don't know, you know, I, and, and I think, like you said, I think part of it is just not knowing, for sure. Um, you know, uh, I mean, it's only been the last couple of years that I've been listening to show democracy, you know, those podcasters that help me stay on top of things, you know, and that was only because of the craziness that the Trump presidency is, you know, it, it made it almost starkly entertaining. You know, before that, news always seemed so boring. And now it's like I'm realizing it was it, it was never boring in some ways. It was always life and death stakes, you know, for someone, someone, you know. And so I think part of it is just I've been fortunate to have sort of been engaged um, a little bit before this happened. Um, but yeah, it, it could easily go under the radar, especially when news outlets aren't talking about it. And when they're continuing to support the game and you know it's one thing to just post one article about the acquisition and say this could be controversial and then to post 30 articles after that about every new character trailer that comes you know and it gives mm-hmm. you a false sense of of uh, those scales right but, yeah where do their priorities lie just, yeah 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 it's um, easy to pass that buck too right because like we're just we're just reporting news so yes Yep, and I, I one day I'd, I'd love to talk more in depth about 
media because I, I definitely see issues with media. I don't hate them, but I just think because of their motivations tend to be more monetary, it also causes a lot of confliction or confusion amongst the consumer or the viewers of, of those articles and such like exactly that example you just gave me of like hey here's this thing we should be concerned about but by the way you should check out all these things we're going to market this game for essentially you know free yeah. or for clicks so it, yeah it's examples like that where it causes conflict because you have one article talking about you might want to be concerned but never follow up on that really and then exactly the follow-up yeah. yep so I, I think that's a, a great point and there's there's so many different points that i want to hit um and i'm trying to i want to stay on on this topic specifically because i think this is really important um i do want to play devil's advocate a little bit in terms of like uh one of those i think the first solution that comes to mind for me is boycotting or just not supporting them and talking about it right this is you know number yeah. two is i wasn't going to get the game anyway but also talking about it is another important facet of it however uh, i'm a former game developer i have a that's my bachelor's degree and oh, that's nice. what i used to do and I can't help but wonder about the individuals who are just making the game that have no interest in political right. affiliation. Right. It's like, how how are they, well, one, how are they being treated by the new owners and stuff like that? Because I'm sure he doesn't really interact with them too much, at least until he gets a majority yeah. share, which might change that. But, you know, how, like, is, is boycotting the right solution and how does that affect the individuals who are just trying to make games? Because um, you go on one side, you can say, hey, you know, they're working for somebody that, they are kind of terrible, right? One of the owners is someone terrible and maybe it's best for them to move on to a different development studio. Uh, you could say that maybe they don't have that opportunity because of whatever reason. Like when I tried working in game development or when I did work in game development, I had people who had worked there for 10, 15 years getting laid off and competing with me for entry level jobs. So me with zero experience competing with like a 10 year vet, they're gonna get the job. So it's like that, that market has been unstable for a long time. So it's like, I. I want to think about how this affects the different people that trickle down because I do not like, uh, from my from the information that I have, I do not like uh, Mohammed bin Salman. <laughs> I can openly admit that. However, I don't know the individual developers and the people who work on the game, and they seem, for the most part, pretty passionate about it. So it's like how how can we make change for the positive? And I'm not expecting you to have like the right answer. It's just I want to know your your insight oh, on this. So no, you know, sure. no pressure or anything, but. You know what what can we do to where it's like hey we're not hating on the developers right we want to make sure that's clear because i'm i know you're not saying that and i'm not saying that but how do we make it to where we affect mohammed bin uh, salman's involvement in the program without hurting the people that actually matter to us the developers and such yeah that's such a good question especially when you drop on that personal experience where yeah. no one's safe even if you're a veteran you're not safe you know especially you know there's part of me, right, that likes to think, oh, you know, it's a job in a luxury industry, you know, you know, Japan's a pretty wealthy place, you know, you just go out and get another one. But like, I'm sure that's also a freaking expensive place to live too, you know, when you're supporting a family. Um, you know, it's a lot more than just, uh, yeah, those are people that have skin in the game, right? I don't what they do. Um, I guess my thoughts are as follows. Um, yeah, like you say, they're victim of, victims of this acquisition, too. Probably first and foremost. Um, you know, I mean, the the the, the civilians in, in Yemen are victims of MBS directly. But as far as the acquisition goes, um, 
yeah, I guess the foremost victims would be, yeah, S&P employees, the artists and the programmers. And, mm-hmm. Yeah, like you said, the, the enthusiastic director and art director that, you know, give us those updates, right? Um, that, that tell us to fire up our dream rosters, you know? Um, and uh, I guess in an ideal world, what I would want is for them to, you know, organize some some mass exodus within the company, you know, where, where, where they can sort of raise that steam like I'm trying to on the outside, you know, it, um, and then, you know, appeal, and for, for players to appeal to other companies like, like Capcom and Arxis and Bandai Namco to open their doors to them, you know, as sort of, as sort of Salman acquisition refugees, if you will. <laughs> yeah, you like know, um, I would, right? I would, I would, I would, I would, I think that's another thing that we could use our voice for. It's not just to tear this thing down, but, you know, please, um, please give work to these people. You know, kind of like when, uh, uh, in a smaller way, when the employees left Lab Zero, right? Because of um, the toxic work culture and stuff with Magazine. You know, um, yeah. I, I know it's a little different because I think the team basically stayed together and created a team. But my impression from that time was that the community got back, you know, and wanted to buy their art books and support them and, and keep them afloat. Um, so while it's a little different because, you know, they're not an indie company, so I don't think there's that direct fan communication with SNK like there would have been with Lab Zero. Um, I think just as much as us consumers, us fans, us community could get together to tear something down in the name of good and justice. I think we could also try to make space um, for and advocate for these very same developers and artists, you know, um, out of gratitude to them and love for them for the games they've given us, you know. Um, but uh, mm-hmm. I guess that's all I have to say. But, but, but yeah, no. Uh, yeah, it's, I it's that's a good start though right like i so one of the concerns and and something you said made me think about this too is like when when we see something like this a lot of people you know we talk about social justice warriors which have become somewhat of a negative term nowadays um yeah and i i try really hard to see multiple sides of the fence because sometimes there's more than just two right and uh, something that you made me talk when you talked about that that second and third example of of what mbs has done it's like a lot of times, you know, SJWs or cancel culture, whatever we want to call it, sometimes there are people unintentionally caught in the crossfires. It's not physical, but yeah. people, some good people sometimes lose their jobs. And I think this is another example where potentially it's like if you, if people lean so hard to where they're trying to cancel MBS or, you know, I, I say cancel, but just like get him out of the project, this could cause people to lose their jobs, which would be people getting yeah. caught in the crossfires who are innocent. And that's something that I don't want to do, right? I want to make sure that we punish the people who are doing bad without the people who don't deserve it getting caught in the crossfires, just doing their jobs. And that's that gets very muddy. You know, it's like, do do we punish all Nazis because they were told by their leader to do it? It's like that's a very philosophical question. But it's like they were forced to do it. How do you punish those people? And like, how far down the line do you go? Um, and it's the same thing with this, where the employees, you know, I see it all the time where people complain about game developers, they give death threats to game developers, and that, that makes me so furious, um, because they're just trying to, you know, work a job. However, I think one of the solutions that you gave is good. Um, again, this is kind of like a dream scenario. I just, I, I, 
my personal philosophy is if I'm going to complain about a situation, I need to at least bring some sort of solution to the table, right? So that way I'm not complaining about trying to do nothing about it. Uh, and I've seen that, you know, crowdfunding is one of the most powerful ways to support people. So similar to what you were talking about is if they could make a spiritual successor to Tekken because they're not going to get the IP if they leave the company. Unfortunately, I would love to see that happen. That's like That's ideal, ideal. But yeah, is to take is to take SNK back. Yeah, I mean that that would be great. Um, if there if there's any way to like crowdfund taking SNK from him, uh, that would be yeah. cool. Or just like crowdfunding another game to where they can still sustain whatever income they make and make new games because they make great games. Um, yeah. You know, obviously they have to make a whole bunch of new characters, but sometimes that's a good thing because it's a fresh start. But I, I think that that would be another solution to bring to the table if they couldn't seek refuge to other developers, which I like your idea better. I, I think that's really cool because then it can still, you know, work for some big companies unless they want to do that sort of thing. But yeah, I think crowdfunding is another great opportunity. Uh, obviously that takes them having to speak up and as soon as they do speak up, then they do, they are definitely putting their jobs on the line potentially if they speak up bad against you know shareholders and stuff like that um but i mean unfortunately when you get in those kind of positions uh, that is a very hard choice and that's a personal choice for them but you know that's something that i would encourage uh, to do because i think that the fgc would support them you know i have a lot of faith in the fgc i know we tend to be very cynical as a community but i do think that we have banded together to do some really great things and i would love to see the developers uh, supported by a lot of there's a lot there's a lot of diehard kof fans uh, snk fans and i think that you know if it got to the point where it was bad for the you know toxic work environment or like a concern of mine is mbs is not very lgbtq friendly um i think he's expressed that pretty openly in the past and you know characters like ash or other like if he becomes a shareholder this is this is speculation there's no there's no proof behind what i'm saying this is just my assumption based off of uh, his philosophies is that you know he wouldn't want something associated with with that because a lot of people think that you know effeminate men are a sign of weakness or like powerful women is something that you shouldn't like you know have i don't want to project what i think he thinks but those are just concerns that I see um, happening. And I hope I'm wrong, right? I hope I'm completely wrong and he doesn't ever touch the game. There's still the ethical conversation to be had that we've already had. But um, those kind of characters could get taken off the chopping block, potentially. And that would cause controversy. But then that would kind of be too late at that point. And then SNK then would be kind of screwed over and they would get those death threats because you know people get angry and they take it out on the wrong person. So it's like, how could you work for this guy? You know, he's, he's terrible. And it's like, I just... I'm just working here and all of a sudden I got thrown into this. Yeah. A new owner bought it. It's like, I can't just quit. I have a kid and, and or, you know, a wife yeah. or a husband, whatever. Yeah. So it's just like, it could get very muddy. That's that's my concern. And I'd rather have them like, fi- like figure out their own situations before it gets to that point. Because yeah, I think, they have it as much as possible. Yeah, a lot of us in society are reactive rather than pr- uh, proactive. And once it gets to the point to where we're, we're mad and upset about it, then someone's going to get caught in the crossfires. Uh, and and, and I like to avoid that situation if possible. But I think this is an incredibly important topic to talk about and at least get the conversation going. Uh, hopefully more people who are listening can share this out and kind of get that conversation. Because it's not like I'm saying, here's what you should do. You like you should stop buying SNK games. I just think like what we're doing right here, we should talk about it. We should have a conversation. I'm glad you reached out to me yeah. to, to talk about this because it encouraged me to look more into it. Uh, and I, I do believe in putting my money where my mouth is. Like kind of a side note. One of the reasons I'm going to buy Strive is because they are supporting, you know, good netcode. And it's not something that I've personally oh, complained yeah. about for a long time. 
But I do think making a statement of saying, hey, here's where I'm putting my money because they're actually putting their money in the right direction. Whereas SNK, even without MBS being part of the conversation, their conversation around netcode has been kind of shaky. Uh, from my point of view, it sounds like it wasn't part of the original plan, but now that they see how important it is, plus with the pandemic being a thing, it's like they're trying to shoehorn it in. And any good game developer can tell you that if you're not planning netcode from the get-go, like good, like imp- implementing this from the get-go, it's going to be hard to near impossible to get it into the game. So the way they worded it from that 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 conference, uh, the roundtable. Yeah, it, it made it sound like it wasn't part of the normal plan, but now we're trying to get it in because we see how important it is. Because uh, I've, I've been part of those conversations in the past where we tried to put GGPO into our game a long time ago, and it was just really painful because we hadn't anticipated it from the get-go. So uh, that's what it sounds not, like. Not I hope I'm wrong. As, like, not quite as obscure as like Harada saying, like, like Netcode is three or whatever that, that, that weird quote was, but... But still, yeah, that was shaky. <laughs> I think it, it sounded like Harada either didn't know what he was talking about or he was just straight out lying because that's not how that works. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm not even a Tekken player, but like I've seen other people break down and show me like how the lag in that game works, and I'm like, okay. yeah, that's not that's not accurate the way you're explaining it. I don't think this word means what you think you guys it means. So, yeah. yeah. Um, is there any other important bits of information or, or anything you want to say about this specific topic? Oh man, I, I can't think of anything this philosopher in terms of the knowledge I have anyway, or that I Google. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm just super thankful to have talked with someone that, uh, yeah, cares. Um, and to King Fighters fans out there, um, I, um, yeah, I just want to express again that I, I really love these characters in my own way even though I can't identify as a KOF community member. Um, and I'm sorry if people have thought this. But you guys are. Um, and I think, you know, even if people aren't willing to, to let go of the game or, or don't feel that it's wrong for them to do, you know, then, yeah, they do enjoy the characters and the joy that IP brings you. But, you know, maybe that doesn't mean that we can still continue the conversation to, you know, as a wrestling. Um, yeah, just just to remember that, you know, that to, you know, I can't imagine honestly a worse opposition than MBS um, happening. Um, but still, um, you know, I think I think part of protecting the, the community when people talk about that, you know, because I, I know I was talking with someone that that one of the other few people that did, you know, another another FGC kind of commentator, podcaster, whose content I also enjoyed. And their response was validating, which I really appreciate. But it was also, you know, we want to keep this podcast a safe space kind of hope to, to escape, right? To escape and, sure, and, sure, yeah. and have fun. And, and that makes total sense. And that's what video games are for so many, you know. But I think part of keeping it a safe space is... You know, it's fighting too. You know, threats are right. You know, like I posted one of my tweets, you know, how beautiful would it be if us as fighting game you know, fight, you know, on behalf of both victims, you know, the developers at SNK, you know, the civilians and the children, and on behalf of a worthy cause, you know, which is trying to preserve some 
autonomy and integrity of that, even though we are working with it over But that's part of what is so beautiful as someone outside looking into the FDC and having talked to you and watched documentaries about it. It's the way that fans and community make things happen when it seems like they shouldn't be able to, whether it's events that happen each year, you know, just make it with a budget that they keep coming back. Or, you know, lobbying for uh, rollback, you know, and making that change happen when corporate suits are dragging their feet. Um, you know, um, yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. I, I'm in the same boat as you. I understand people who don't want to talk about these kind of topics because gaming for a lot of people is an escape. You know, it is an outlet. Um, for me, I think gaming is more personal than that. I've been gaming since I can remember. Like I, my older brother is six years older than me. So he had gaming consoles before I was even born. So I was literally born into gaming. Uh, I've worked in the gaming industry for years and years and years, uh, from, journalism to working at GameStop for six years. So cool, I didn't know those things about you. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, I guess I don't I don't like really <laughs> but yeah, so I've I've done a lot of stuff in game design and or gaming in general, commentating, just so much stuff. I I love it. And I also think for me, um I love this country, but I also think it's very, very flawed. Um and like regardless of the fact that it's flawed, I want things to be better. And uh, like I told you before, my philosophy is if I'm going to complain about something, then I'm going to fix it the best way that I know how. Um, And that changes from topic to topic with like politics and stuff like that. I'm still learning. So talking about it at the very least, gathering information and trying to stay level headed about it, I think is the best way for me to do it and help other people talk about things and think about it from different perspectives that they hadn't thought about before taking action. Right. Uh, I think that's that's always the best way unless you have no other choice you know i i believe in self-defense only and never really attacking anybody else but i also believe that you can't believe you can't be completely pacifist and and not ever take action because sometimes you have to defend yourself so you you're kind of forced sometimes to put in these tough situations where you don't want to hurt other people but sometimes you have to say something and somebody's going to get their feelings hurt i think topics like this can sometimes be like that because you know we may have someone who's a total mbs lover and then where do we go from there right it's kind of like the whole issue that we had with trump a long time ago or a long time ago a couple months ago where it's like you know family members are are arguing with each other and and disowning each other because they can't talk about this topic and i think that's really sad um and they're very sensitive topics are very important to people but i also think that if we ignore these issues if we bury our head in the sand and continue to just uh, escape to our video games we might not have video games to escape to or we're going to have a quality of games that we don't really recognize. There's already a lot of ethical issues that I see in gaming from like microtransactions and to like certain <laughs> tactics to to like add-ons of games that I've talked about for years before it was a big issue, day one DLC. Uh, I think there's a lot of things in the gaming industry that are already bad practices and we we kind of just accept it, right? We We just get used to it. And the younger generation doesn't know any better, so they just accept what is. And that's the same thing that I see with political process and stuff like that. So it's just, it's so hard to talk about these topics, but I think it's incredibly important. Um, so the, the thing I ask is from listeners to, you know, share your thoughts. Let me know where you, where you lie on this. And then I would also ask, this is a very important topic that's not getting talked about. So I would encourage you all to share this out to get the conversation going. Uh, because yeah, this, hopefully this doesn't become a big issue 
you know, but I'd rather get ahead of it now and talk about it and follow, you know, more people should look it up. I'll put articles down below that are from reputable sources or ones that I think that are reputable so that you can do your own research. Cause I don't want to just tell you what to think or tell you how to think. I want you guys to do your own thinking and, and respond accordingly. So thank you guys so much. Soleil, thank you for coming on the show and talking with me. I think this is a very important topic. Uh, and I think this is a great conversation. So hopefully in the future, if anything develops, we can come back and talk about this. I'd love to have you back. Uh, but until then, I'll see you all in the next one. <laughs>